Well, whose responsibility is it to fund the church? Whose responsibility is it to bankroll Christian ministry? The answer is it's your responsibility and my responsibility. I've said we're thinking about our finances and a key, a key thing to realise, this is true for almost all churches, is that St Bridget's receives no money from the government no money from the council, no money from the bishop, no money from Church of Ireland headquarters. Literally the only money we have to keep us going is the money you and I give and the little bit extra that comes from hiring out our halls during the week. That's it. Now what's wonderful is that it doesn't cost a penny to turn up at church and hear the good news about Jesus. You don't have to pay a single pound to, be, uh, to have your sins forgiven, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be reconciled to God and receive the inheritance of eternal life alongside all of Jesus' other brothers and sisters. That is all free, free at the point of access. But of course, this building wasn't free. It was paid for by you. Uh, the heating isn't free. The insurance bills, the maintenance costs aren't free. And like Jeanette said, most significantly, a full-time ordained rector isn't free. It costs a lot to have one. And the only people who fund the bills and the costs of a rector is us. We don't get money for any of these things from anywhere else. So whose responsibility is it to fund the church? It's our responsibility. And at the minute, we're not giving enough. Um, like Jeanette said, when I was appointed here, uh, I was appointed priest in charge, a three-year temporary position. So in a few years' time, uh, the bishop's going to decide, based on our finances, whether we can have a permanent rector. Um, but currently, we're £20,000 a year short of um, being able to persuade him that we can. Uh, and so we've all got our part to play in that, including me. Um, of course, as I stand here and say all this, I am going to benefit a lot from the money that you give because it pays my stipend. Um, but for the sake of full transparency, I also donate back to St. Bridget's out of what I'm given because we're in this together. Uh, the future of St. Bridget's depends on the contents of all of our bank accounts. And that's why we're asking everyone to review our financial situation and consider increasing what we give or consider starting to give towards the costs of ministry in this church. And to help us consider that, we're looking at two passages of Scripture. Um, first was last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, which was about the spiritual gift of generosity. We saw the Apostle Paul urging the Corinthian church to excel in the gift of giving. And we asked the question, what is generosity? We thought about how to be generous, and we took inspiration from the generosity of Jesus. And if you miss that sermon, um, even if you don't normally catch up on sermons, although that's a good idea, please do listen to it um, via our website or through our email newsletter that's now going out. Um, you can listen to it that way. Um, if you need someone to help you access that, figure that out, um, speak to me, and I'll help you do that. This week, we're going to think maybe a little bit more uh, practically by looking at the amazing contribution to the work of the gospel made by a group of women who followed Jesus. Three of those women in particular are mentioned, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. This is Luke chapter 8, uh, to which the publisher 
gives the heading, the parable of the sower. Thinking about sowing, the other day I saw a video of a guy who decided to turn his entire back garden into a vegetable patch. That's quite a large area. And that the plan was to see how much he could save himself at the supermarket by growing some food himself. So he bought in all the compost, he planted all the seeds, and over the course of one whole year and a lot of hard work, he grew, this is quite good, isn't it? Five kilos of cucumbers, a kilo of spring onions, five kilos of courgettes, seven and a half kilos of potatoes, three kilos of carrots, a kilo of tomatoes, and 10 kilos of onions. Now he gets to the end of the year, and he added up what all that would have cost in the supermarket to see how much he saved. What was it all worth? 64 pounds, uh, which was less than he paid to buy the compost. Uh, so in the end, it was sort of a disappointing video and a disappointing year. Um, but compare that to the payoff that comes from sowing the seed of the gospel. Have a look at verse eight of Luke, uh, verse four, sorry, of Luke chapter eight. It says, while a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants. Okay, so similarly, it's pretty disappointing so far. But then verse eight. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. That is successful farming. But the seeds that Jesus sows, he's the farmer in the parable. The seeds that he sows are not carrot seed or corn. It's the message of the good news sown in people's hearts as he teaches. And it grows and it bears fruit where it is received and believed. That's really clear that that's what Jesus is doing. If we look at verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1, have a look there with me. What is Jesus going about doing? What did Jesus do? It says, he is traveling about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is spreading the good news, the gospel, far and wide in towns and in villages all along the route to Jerusalem. And it's this message which, when it lands in the right soil, produces amazing returns. It saves people from judgment. It reunites people with God. It transforms lives. And it generates the worldwide family of the church. This is all a result of the proclamation of the gospel which is why proclaiming the gospel is my primary responsibility at St. Bridget's. When uh, you donate money, it's not to pay me primarily to chair the select vestry. It's not to pay me primarily to do the admin. I'm here to bring the message of the good news of Jesus into our lives and to bring the message of the gospel into the lives of the people who live around here. And just like Jesus didn't preach, but he also trained up 12 disciples to join in his ministry, I also have the task of equipping and training some others here with the skills to teach, to lead, to share the gospel, to help younger Christians keep growing, to help older Christians keep going. 
I said earlier, we're all in this together. No Christian and no church exists only for the benefit of themselves. We exist for the benefit of others in here and out there. Have a look with me at the, um, the first paragraph in your booklet. Have a look. It says so this about our church. St. Bridget's exists to worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and to spread the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus. We want to see lives transformed as more people put their trust in Jesus, grow to maturity, serve with love, and persevere to the end. And that is what the message about Jesus achieves. That is what the ministry of the gospel achieves. I've seen many people's lives transformed by this message. One in particular, one person in particular sticks in my memory, a man called John, who I met in a Cafe Nero in London. Uh, he saw me reading the Bible. He came over to my table and he said that he had tried to read and understand the Bible, but he realized he needed somebody who could teach him. So once a week, we came back to that cafe and I helped him read through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, who is John? Um, John was into Kung Fu and uh, he trained regularly at the Shaolin Temple on Sunday mornings. Uh, that's a Buddhist center for meditation and martial arts, started in China. So he's a little bit different from being a Christian. But we kept reading the Bible anyway until eventually... Um, I had to say goodbye. I had to call it off because I was leaving to go and train for ordination in Oxford, miles away. And in a way, it felt like I kind of achieved nothing. I got up early to meet him before he went to work on a building site as an electrician. Um, all that time on Sunday mornings, I was in church, he was down the temple, and then I had to leave. And then one day when I was in Oxford, uh, I got a text from John. He said, I don't know if you remember me. He used to meet in the cafe and read. I thought, I remember you. I'm praying for you. He said, well, I just uh, wanted to let you know. I'd like to invite you along um, to uh, my church. He said, because I'm getting baptized. He wasn't going to tell me, but he had been part of a Bible study group. And when he decided to get baptized, become a Christian, they said, you, he told his story. And they said, you've got to get in touch with him and let him know you're being baptized. So after thinking that, you know, sharing the gospel had achieved nothing, Actually, John's life got turned around from sort of Buddhism and Kung Fu and Sunday mornings were all busy to now being a faithful member of a, a gospel teaching church in South London. That is the power of the word of God. It took time, took patience, but his life was totally changed. And that's what we're here for in Glengormley. We're here to continue that ministry that Jesus started but how come Jesus was able to do any ministry at all? Until the age of 30, he had to make an income uh, as a carpenter or a builder. So how was he able to stop doing that and still live? Well, that's where Mary and Joanna and Susanna come in. Have a look with me. Chapter 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, 
and many others. These women were helping to support them, helping to support Jesus and the disciples out of their own means. See what's going on? Jesus' ministry is funded by the generous donations of many grateful women. Grateful because of what Jesus has done for them. Think of Joanna. She's a fairly powerful woman. She's the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. That is Herod Antipas, who divorced his wife, married his sister-in-law, and beheaded John the Baptist. Not an easy man to work for. But at least the pay would have been good. But if the pay was good, then when his wife Joanna became ill, he had the resources to pay for a doctor, to get the best medicine available. And yet, despite being high up, having the money, it didn't work. She wasn't healed. But then she heard of Jesus. We're not given her story, but Luke tells us who did heal her. And it was him, it was Jesus. She was healed by him, he saved her. And what an impression that would have made on her and her husband. And so now she's following Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And think of Mary Magdalene, severely oppressed by seven demons. The psychological turmoil, just imagine the psychological turmoil of that, would have been unbearable. And then Jesus set her free. These women have experienced Jesus' amazing love and power. And how do they respond? Well, they appear two more times in Luke's Gospel. They were there on the Friday evening when Jesus was taken down from the cross and buried. And they were there early on the Sunday morning when they went to anoint his body with spices and discovered that his tomb was empty and that he'd been raised from the dead. These women responded with amazing devotion because they had experienced his power and his love for them. But before they accompanied him on his journey to death and resurrection, they accompanied him in his preaching. The first thing they did to demonstrate their devotion to Jesus was to use their bank accounts to fund his ministry and the ministry of the 12 disciples. They made it possible for Jesus and the disciples to travel and eat without having to work so that Jesus could keep on preaching. They bankrolled his ministry so that more and more people could discover Jesus like they had. It's just a tiny detail in Luke's gospel, easy to pass over, just a few words. He writes, these women were helping to support Jesus out of their own means. Small phrase, but it's so significant for us. You know, Jesus could have preached part-time and spent the rest of his time making money as a carpenter. Jesus could have put his powers to use to help Peter and John grow their fishing business and funded himself from the profits. Jesus could have fed himself and the disciples miraculously, like the feeding of the 5,000. But that's not the normal way ministry is funded. The normal way ministry is funded, even Jesus' ministry, is through the donations of people who have experienced his transforming love in their lives and want others to experience it too. And the result of their funding was that the message of the gospel reached more and more people until it reached even us. Generation after generation, right around the world, Christians have funded this gospel ministry, and that's what keeps it going. 
There are some other ways to make money, we've said, like hiring out our halls, but they are limited and unreliable. I mean, just to say on that, we've just had a call from one hall hirer asking to cut what they pay us by £7,000 a year, okay? Just to put that out there. The usual way the church works is enabled by the regular and generous giving of its members in response to Jesus' love for us. Just think, where would we be today without the money that these women donated back then? They weren't doing the preaching. They weren't doing the miracles. They weren't part of the 12. But how significant their contribution was. Because of them, Jesus could eat. Because of them, Jesus could travel. And they also benefited from their own donations. They weren't funding Jesus from a distance, but they were traveling along with him. They were hearing him teach. They were seeing him at work. And now we all have the opportunity to follow in their steps. Some of us here, I'm sure, I'm sort of preaching to the choir, have been giving to St. Bridget's for a long time to support the work of the gospel. Some of you may not be giving at all. Some of you may give a lot. Some of you may not give that much. I don't know. I don't know what you give or why. But what better way to invest your money? What better way to see a return on your investment? I looked up last night, best index funds to invest your money in. They might give you a 15% return on your investment. But that can't save souls. That investment fund, it can't reconcile people to God. They can't give you the prize that lasts for eternity. But when we invest in the work of the church, the work of the gospel, the ministry of Jesus, then we gain all those things. We bring life and hope and joy forever to our children, to our grandchildren, our neighbours, our friends, our colleagues. That's what we're investing in. That's what we have to offer. But it needs the money. And so please do pray. Do pray to God for our financial situation. Please do pray for yourself that you would trust God enough to enable you to be generous with what you have. Please do consider how good an investment this is. And please do, uh, like Jeanette said, fill in these forms at the back of uh, the booklet. And what I'm actually going to say in the notices is that I'd love you to bring them along on the 26th of February. And I'd like to do a special collection where we'll, we'll have these filled in, folded in half so they're private, and put them in the collection plate all together as a sign of our uh, desire to work together, to come together, not to do this as, as a sort of um, insignificant thing, but to do this as a family, uh, to do this in a united way, as an encouragement to one another, as we commit to the future of this church. I'm going to stop there. I think we should pray. Our Lord God, we thank you so much for Mary Magdalene, for Joanna, for Susanna, and the many other women who supported Jesus out of their means. Thank you that their money enabled the gospel to be spread, enabled the message of salvation to reach many, many people. And we pray that you would help this church to go on being a place where the gospel goes out, where people hear the good news and are brought to eternal life. Thank you for all those in the past who've funded ministry here. We pray that you would give us that gift of generosity, uh, that together we might find the funds uh, to sustain the ministry of the gospel here and make this 
a place of life and hope for the next generation. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.